Hello, and welcome to Homegrown History with Limestone County Archivist Rebecca Davis and longtime Athens, Alabama native Richard Martin. Each episode, Richard and Rebecca backtrack in time to explore some of the more famous and infamous events etched in Limestone County's rich history. Hello and welcome back to Homegrown History. I am Rebecca Davis, archivist at the Limestone County Archives, your co-host here with... I'm Richard Martin, the oldest one here, 81. That's right. That's right, and still kicking. Amen. (laughs) We're glad you're back with us. We're joined once again by our friend, Dr. Harry Joyner, who has, if you caught the last episode, he was uh, telling us a little bit about the prehistoric uh, history of Alabama and how it relates to Limestone County's prehistoric history. And Dr. Joyner, as we mentioned, he literally wrote the book on Alabama history, the textbook Alabama Then and Now that a lot of us used back when we were in school. And so, uh, Dr. Joyner, we're glad you're here today. We're going to pick up our conversation where we left off talking about native tribes and the Chickasaws and the Cherokees and how Alabama got its name from the Alabama Indians, Alabama tribe of Indians. And uh, now we wanted to pick up and start talking a little bit about how there became such a European, you know, presence here in Limestone County. And I guess it really starts with the first one to set foot, which was uh, DeSoto, Hernando DeSoto, when he was coming through here in 1540. Is that right? Uh, that's right. That was a very monumental. Uh, he was looking for gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a governor of Cuba, and uh, it was a pretty big expedition, maybe 500 people with horses, pigs, and so forth. And they landed in Tampa, Florida, and they headed north uh, around Rome, Georgia. That's where the Coosa River starts. And uh, they followed, started following that mm-hmm. Coosa River uh, all the way down. Then they followed the Alabama down to the Mobile River, where they uh, then uh, had a battle with Chief Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. and the Mobile Indians, and, you know, burned the village and so forth. And then they headed up the Tom Bigby River into West Tennessee and, and the Memphis area. But he was looking for gold, mm-hmm. which uh, people now, still are. Yes, of course. Now, at what point along that way did he kind of swing through? Because I understand he did swing through what would have been Limestone County area. Maybe. Uh, a lot of things are, are uncertain about that. It's even uncertain whether he went up into the Chattanooga area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible that he may have gone to the DeSoto Falls. No, nobody knows exactly. Most of the early, because he kept a, a pretty good diary, somebody did, and they got the villages that he oh. went through. He was one of the great early explorers, you know. And so, mm-hmm. as I said, the Spanish called this whole area Florida right. at first. And Mobile Bay was known as the Bay of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Spanish were good with things like that. Of course, yeah. And uh, then the French, uh, La Salle, made a trip down the Mississippi River, which starts in central Minnesota, down to New Orleans. And uh, he claimed everything on either side of the river. You know, if this river flows into the Mississippi, we claim it. Mm -hmm. And that's how the Louisiana Territory, see, west of the Mississippi, and everything then east of the Mississippi was French. Okay. And so the the original purpose of having a French colony was not in Mobile, but was in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. The, the Lemoyne brothers led uh, this group 
from Canada, and I guess some were from France, and they left to go down and establish a colony at the mouth of the Mississippi. And so he saw that it was, you know, too much flood, too much water, and said we, we Nobody could, would live there. Who'd be crazy enough to live right, down there? That's right. <laughs> and so he then first went to the area of Biloxi, was there a few years, and then they finally moved to 27-mile bluff, 27 miles up the Mobile River for the first French colony in Alabama. And one reason is, you know, to protect it from the Spanish. The Spanish were in Pensacola. They were in Florida. Also, it was just much better, and the, the Indians up there greeted them and, you know, took care of them. And they eventually moved to Mobile because of the flooding and the yellow fever, the mosquitoes sure. that were up there. Now, I know, of course, France claimed land in about 1682. So about what time frame were these people settling and you know creating these French settlements here? Uh, let's see. That was uh, 17, I think, 8 or 10, somewhere along okay. there. It was called Fort Louis de la Mobile. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, some of the early streets that they named were still there. They had a fort. And you went into a fort when you were in danger. You know, you settled the the land around there. You lived Mm -hmm. out in town. But, uh, you know, when there was uh, danger, you went into the fort. And uh, uh, it was an imposing fort. I have a question. You said they went up 27 miles. Right. Where was that where they stopped? It was called 27-mile bluff. Uh And there, there was already an Indian village there. Okay. Yeah, there was already an Indian oh, okay. village. So we don't know what town or county? Yeah, it would be in, in Mobile County, Okay, but 27 miles up the okay. river. Okay, all right, that's it. And uh, there, there could be a marker there, I'm not sure. <laughs> if there's not, there should be, there right? There should be. But, uh, and, and this was known as the Big Beat District. The first really settled part of Alabama was this Mobile area. Mm-hmm. The land was good, so you'd go up the Mobile River, then you would go up the Tom Bigby River, and so you'd go up, and there'd be better land here. And this was the populated area of our state. Yeah. And that's one reason why we did not become a part of Mississippi. And let me say a few words about that. When uh, the colonies were established along the coast, they owned all the land from the coast I guess, to the river or the sea or whatever. They didn't really know. Mm-hmm. And so Georgia owned Alabama and Mississippi. You know, mm-hmm. That was part of the western lands of Georgia. North Carolina, the western land was Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Virginia's now, west- what, was this about the late 1700s or so? Uh, this was after the uh, Revolutionary War, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. after that. And before that, France had already ceded... They're part of the they lost in England. 1763, they mm-hmm. lost that battle up in uh, Quebec City, and uh, the English then took over. And now, from what I understand, Great Britain did not really acknowledge U.S. independence and the claim to the land here until 1782 or so. Is that right? It yeah. was a begrudgingly. Right, right, right. <laughs> all right. right, fine. I guess y'all won. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they didn't even dismantle all their forts. Yeah. Well, that was one of the problems. So the question is, uh, this was known as the Mississippi Territory, mm-hmm. the Georgia's Western Lands. And uh, I, I might go back and tell you the first boundary of our state, how Alabama got yes. shaped, 
was uh, the Perdido River, the Perdido River down in Baldwin County that separates Florida, back then Spanish Florida, Mm -hmm. from French Louisiana. And uh, in 1720, that's why we have that. Uh, We should have the entire coast. Right. But that was a problem dealing with the admission of Florida as a slave state. Right. We we might could say something about that later, but uh, we have Gulf Shores and Orange Beach. We have the prettiest part of the coast, anyways, well, but, don't we? <laughs> but if you look at the map, and and the people in Northwest Florida wanted to become part of Alabama, right. they were, but it didn't work out. Well, and now what I understand is what is now North Alabama, Lauderdale County, and Limestone County, Georgia had originally named it Houston County as part of the western part of Georgia territory. Is that right? Yeah, maybe that that is. Anyway. Yeah, what I you know have studied and learned um, in 1785. Yeah, that's when Georgia named this whole area as Houston County. Right, with the capital in Natchez, is that? Yes, I yeah. think that's right. Okay. and it's it, it's kind of funny when you think about it because you know they sent 80 guys in flatboats down the river as we mm-hmm. talked about. Everybody got where they went in flatboats, and they camped out in um, Lauderdale County. Elected a guy named Valentine Sevier to the Georgia legislature to represent Houston County. And that lasted a whole 20 days before the Chickasaw said, I don't think so, and drove these guys off. And so it says the account does not state whether Mr. Sevier served out his time or drew his pay. I think he was uh, trying to get out of here intact. Okay, what you're referring to is the attempt by East Tennessee, Ah. which which formed Houston County up in East Tennessee. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they tried to break away from the territory up there and form their own state. That's what you're referring to, and that was called the, the state of Houston. Oh, okay. And they thought about, and they did. They sent people down here to try and annex, said, why don't you join us, Houston? And that's when the Chickasaws drove them away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, now, and it wasn't long after that that this area became embroiled in scandal, with the Yazoo land fraud, right? Right. Tell us a little bit about that. Exactly. Well, the the question was, what do we do with all of this Western land that we own, that Georgia owns? And there were like tens of millions of acres. And so some of the Georgia legislators said, why don't we sell it to ourselves for two cents an acre? Oh, wow. Legislators. Before the federal government gets it. Isn't it great that legislators never participate in backdoor deals like that anymore? So uh, that happened uh, in 1795. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, in our area, this was known as the Tennessee Company. They owned this land. You know, so if you buy something for two cents and you sell it for two dollars, you know, you become kind of rich. Oh, sure. So this whole area was the Tennessee Company. the boundary was the 35th parallel, which I think was settled in 1796 when Tennessee became a state. Okay, and that's where the line is now. That's where it is. And it goes all the way to the Mississippi River, the 35th parallel. It's Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. Right. So south of that was the Tennessee Company. Then most of central Alabama was owned by the Georgia Company. Mm-hmm. So you would have legislators saying, well, we're, we own some of this land. And so this was such a, uh, a terrible thing that in 1796, there was such an outcry in Georgia 
These legislators are selling our land to themselves and getting rich. Mm -hmm. And so the outcry was so great that the senators from Georgia came back from Washington, and there was a movement to repeal this act, this, this Yazoo. Right. And so it's amusing that they took this act and they put it on the steps of the state capitol in Georgia. And they had a magnifying glass. Nobody would touch it. Calling down the holy fire from heaven to burn up this act. Oh, well. Which, which had done this. Now, the question is, was this a valid sale? You know, these people had sold this land. And this went to the U.S. Supreme Court. And in 1814, it ruled that this was a valid transaction. Oh, wow. The, the legislature of Georgia had sold the land to these people, and these claims were valid. So the U.S. Congress set aside $5 million to satisfy the Yazoo land claims hmm. at that time. So that explains, because I know as you come along in the history, then you've got the issue over the Chickasaw boundary. And that explains why a lot of folks figured they had a claim to this land and they owned it and they should rightfully be here. And that caused a, a bit of an issue, too. Yeah, I guess they had to pay the directors. There, wasn't, there weren't a lot of transactions back in those days. But mm -hmm. Anyway, that, that was the Yazoo land fraud scam. And it's in really U.S. history books. That's yeah. It. One of the first scandals of Limestone County history. Yeah. We've, all, we've had a few since then, haven't we? That's the only ones we know about. <laughs> the first one on the record books, anyway. Right. <laughs> so uh, this whole land then was, uh, you know, so what do we do with all of this land that, that we have? And so that was the question. It's the Mississippi Territory that was created in 1798. And that includes and all of what is now Mississippi and Alabama, Alabama. Right? The deal was that you create one state. One state. Now, it took 60,000 people to form a state, a minimum. And we didn't have that. Most of the people lived around Mobile anyway. So what helped us was the Creek War, which uh, started around 1812 with the Fort Mills Massacre. Because after the Creek War, the Creeks gave up most of their land in Alabama, central Alabama, eastern Alabama, and they were confined to just a few counties south of the Coosa River. Mm -hmm. So with all of this land, this cheap land available, you had enough settlers rush in so that you could create a separate state. Now, prior to this, there were efforts to create one state in Mississippi. The capital was in uh, Natchez mm -hmm. because it was on the Mississippi River. Uh, what happened, and if the Creek War had not occurred, it's probable that you would have had one state of Mississippi created. But with all of these new people, the people in Mobile didn't want to be part of Mississippi. Natchez was so far away. Uh, it was on a, a river. This, this was a different culture down here. And with the growth, the really growth area of the region was Mobile, Baldwin County, and up the Bigby River. They had more people than Natchez. And so the people in Mississippi were saying, well, if uh, we become one state, maybe the capital will be in Mobile and not uh, over in Natchez. 
So uh, a question of how do we divide this territory? One proposal in 1810 would have kind of split uh, the whole region from the Mississippi to the Georgia line, in which the northern part would have been the Alabama Territory, Mm -hmm. and the southern part would have been the Mississippi Territory. That was in 1810, before the Creek War. Then another proposal came in 1812 to use the Tom Bigby River. And the Tom Bigby River is a logical boundary. It almost divides the Alabama region and the Mississippi region uh, identically. Mm -hmm. They're about, about the same. And that is the logical. But the people in Mobile complained. Let's say they weren't logical? No, they say, we don't want to be part of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. We want to be part of, of Alabama. And so in 18... I don't blame them. Uh, <laughs> in 1817, they came up with this approach to the boundary between the new state of Mississippi, which was 1817, and then the Alabama Territory, which was 1817 to 19. They started, there's, there are two islands in the Gulf of Mexico. The French would say Petit Bois, which means little forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, local people may call it Petty Boy, I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, just uh, east of there is Dolphin Island. So right between Dolphin Island and this island, the line began. And it was able to include, I don't know how many miles uh, west of Mobile City mm-hmm. is included there, but enough of the people were satisfied that they were going to be in the Alabama Territory. And then it went up all the way to the uh, Tennessee River, to Bear Creek, the Tennessee River mm-hmm. region. Mm-hmm. And that's how our last boundary got. And it's got that one little section that dips over where the Tennessee River goes up to the Tennessee state line, right. over there in Lauderdale County. Right. Uh, and I think that has to do with the river. Right. right. Following the river. Well, and you know, it's interesting, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit in history, but that's... Limestone County had a similar situation. When Limestone County was established in 1818, the county lines went straight down, like they are now to the east, but then also to the west, straight down to the river. But that had the forks of the river in Lauderdale County. And it was so difficult for the folks in Lauderdale County to do anything and take care of the forks of the river, that one little section, that it was in 1823 the legislature ceded that over to Limestone County. And mm-hmm. so that's why Limestone County has that one little dip around uh, in the southwest corner for the forks of the river. That's, that's a good point. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't, don't realize that. Mm-hmm. So our first boundary was 1720 with the Perdido. Then uh, we have the 31st parallel down with Florida, the mm-hmm. Panhandle. Sure. And that was, I believe, 1799. We almost went to war with Spain over that boundary dispute. Spain claimed as far north as Montgomery. Oh. And we built a fort called Fort Stoddard. He Mm -hmm. was Secretary of War, Mm -hmm. saying, we're going to defend this area down to the 31st parallel. So that was our second boundary. Our third boundary was in 1802 when Georgia became a state, and it followed the Chattahoochee River partway up the state, where it then goes into Georgia. And then in 1802, when Georgia gave the land to the federal government, the western boundary of Georgia extended northward from that Chattahoochee all the way up to the 31st parallel. And then this last boundary, 1817 with Mississippi, 
and was a result of Mississippi finally becoming a state, Mississippi Territory being dissolved, and the Alabama uh, Territory being created. Right. Well, and this is a good place to kind of double back and talk about what was going on with Limestone County while all this was going on. Because the, as we mentioned, the Chickasaws were here. Well, Chickasaw Territory was protected by the U.S. government. And the line, if you look on some, even if you look at the modern engineering maps, you can still see the old Chickasaw boundary that ran um, northwest to southeast line that cuts down. Ardmore is all east of that. So that was the boundary and everything west of that and north of the Tennessee River was Chickasaw Territory. And uh, But already by 1809, there were 5,000 squatters here on Chickasaw land. And a lot of times they thought they were east of the line or they knew they were the west of the line and didn't really care. And um, and so it was it got so bad with the clashes between the Chickasaws and the settlers that in 1810, the U.S. government established Fort Hampton to protect not the settlers, but the Chickasaws and to drive the settlers out. It was um, Fort Hampton was on the Elk River, kind of upriver from the Tennessee forks of the river. And it was actually named for Brigadier General Wade Hampton, who was the officer in charge there at the time. And the Secretary of War told Hampton, it is the determination of the president which was Madison at the time, that the intruders on the public and on the Indian land shall be removed. And it is presumed that it may be affected without bloodshed. So rather than killing folks, they would tear down people's houses. Um, they would burn out their crops, their fences, you know. And, and when they weren't doing that, they were building roads. And so Fort Hampton Road that, that we have, you know, in Upper Fort Hampton Road, uh, up in the northern part of the county, a lot of the roads that we still use today were cut by those U.S. soldiers in 1810s. And um, there were people who were allowed to stay here legally. Like you had James Ford. He operated Ford's Ferry. And he also uh, got a job carrying ferrying the mail to Fort Hampton. But the day that his contract with the U.S. government expired, the soldiers came to his house and tore the roof off his house and tore down his fence. So he said, that's the last time I work with the feds. I'm going to Madison County. <laughs> and you had um, Nick, Nick Davis was here, you know, came early. There was a guy named Samuel Robertson. Go ahead, Richard. Well, you had the very first business in Limestone County was Witty Mills in Limestone County. Go up 127, hit Mitty Wheel Road to the left and go down in the valley. That's where that was. That's right. And, of course, then you you had some of these early folks, but uh, a big influx came with the Sims settlement. And there was two brothers named Sims, obviously, who got on flatboats up in Chattanooga and took their families and their friends all. I can't even imagine what an adventure that must have been to pile all your family on a flatboat and go all the way from Chattanooga to Limestone County with your kids going, are we there yet? <laughs> do, do you know what a flatboat looked like? Mm -hmm. I've seen pictures. What? How would you describe it? A, a raft, more or less. And, Not much more than that. And? And a little, little doghouse looking thing on it. A, a shelter right. yep. for the family you didn't know. And probably uh, on the boat, you would have pigs mm -hmm. and cows and dairy cows. We don't realize how important a dairy cow was to oh, a family. Sure. People, that was life. That, that was and life. some chickens for the eggs, right? 
yeah, yeah, that's right. So let's see, 1807, William and James Sims came down there, and there were names that you might recognize to this day were some of the first ones to come read us in French. You know, there's a lot of French mill, French farms, black. There's a, There was the New Garden Blacks and the Ripley Blacks, and Capshaw, that was a lot of the famous Green Hall. If anybody ever ate at Dubs, <laughs> you can thank uh, some Green Hall ancestor who came here illegally back in the day. We love you, Lanier. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, some folks actually got contracts that, like James Ford with the ferry, uh, Elizabeth Sims, one of the Sims brothers' wives, she got a contract to teach the Native women how to spin and weave, and she got paid a whole fifteen dollars a month plus 37 and a half cents a day for her board and then you know they started hunting uh one of my favorite stories there was a one of the first guys here named james mckinney he went hunting he killed 15 deer in one day out in the woods and then he went and hung them up in the woods and he told his wife lila all right I shot him. I killed him. It's your job to skin him and bring him in the house. She said, I know you didn't. And she left him hanging up in the tree and they rotted. <laughs> I won't make a comment on who might have worn the pants in that family. <laughs> but um, George Whitty was the first child born here, first white child born here in November 1808. And um, I think it's interesting, too, about some of those early um communities that were here you know as people gathered around you had barksville which is north athens kind of around um piney chapel area now and it was so named because people built these little shelters that were covered with bark they had stripped from the chestnut trees and then of course one of my favorite favorite early communities because if you think limestone county has ever been dry no, this county was built on moonshine. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, there was a guy who made the first bar in Limestone County, which was a split log propped on top of a couple of barrels. And he made his own brand of moonshine and served it up in the only thing available to him, which was gourds. And so, you know, they say that you could, uh, if you were half lit and trying to make it to the bar for another round, you could just follow the trail of broken gourds all the way up to the bar. And so it earned the name Gourdsville because of that. But, you know, all these people, they were illegal immigrants in Chickasaw Territory. They weren't supposed to be here um, west of that line before 1816 when the Chickasaws ceded it, were they? No, no, that's, that's right. They were here illegally. Mm -hmm. Was that kind of scenario playing out all over the state where you had um, settlers coming into native areas? Uh, certainly, that that was a problem. Uh, you know, that was a problem with John Hunt, who uh, you know came down from Tennessee and had that land uh, around the Big Spring in Huntsville, and uh, couldn't afford to buy the land when it went on auction, but eighteen oh seven or so, mm -hmm. he couldn't afford it, and so he had to move. Yeah, he couldn't afford twenty three dollars an acre. That was big money back then. Mm -hmm. Some you know, of them were two dollars an acre. And the, of course, the first name for Huntsville was. Twickenham. That's right, Twickenham. Twickenham. Yeah. Twickenham. Yeah. Yeah. A purchaser was a relative of the poet, Pope, yeah. in mm -hmm. England. And that was about the time of the War of 1812 between the USA and England. It's like naming a new town in California Ho Chi Minh City because Uncle yeah. Ho was there. Right. right. <laughs> and so uh, there was a call going out. What are we going to name this settlement? And so somebody said, well, let's name it after the first settler, John Hunt. I, I don't know if he ever came back to live there or not. And that's the origin. Another name that was changed because of the war was Fort Nashboro. 
Mm. Where was Nashville? I'm guessing Nashville. And it was called Nashville. The French word for city is... Ville. Ville. Mm -hmm. Louisville. Right. Shelbyville. Huntsville. uh, Huntsville. Or Huntsville. (laughs) Yeah, Huntsville. So uh, that's why that name... So the people of Limestone County chose a good name, Athens. That was a right it was Greek a, revival. Good, that's right. Um, what's interesting to me about the Sims settlement too is that 450 of, the, of these settlers actually wrote a letter to the president begging to stay in 1810. And uh, it's interesting. I, I'm guessing that original letter is in the National Archives, but you can read it and the the way they spelled and wrote back then. A lot of them didn't even know how to spell their own names. But one of the things they said in that letter is that we will not remove our fellow citizens off, which will bring many women and children to a state of starvation, merely to gratify a heathen nation who have no better right to this land than we have ourselves. And, you know, they they just viewed it as their right. As Americans, this is our country. We're going to live here. It doesn't matter who was here first. You know, talking about Chickasaws, I know you said, you know, Chickasaws had a lot more territory than they really used. But the way the early settlers saw it, they said they have nearly 100,000 of acres of land to each man of their nation, while we have to rent poor stony ridges just to raise our families. And so even though that was 1810, it wasn't until 1816 that the Chickasaws ceded their territory. But, you know, the wheels had been in motion for a long time before that, hadn't they? And, you know, land was everything to mm-hmm. a settler family. It was survival. Right. You know, here's a nice spot. I don't see anybody around. This is where we're going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the, the idea because uh, you were on your own. Right. Back in those days, we tend to uh, underestimate the difficulties that the settlers had all throughout the 19th century, oh, sure. and even until recently. But uh, that's why John Hunt, unfortunately, he thought he had found the ideal place to live. He even had a swimming pool there. That's yeah. right. <laughs> but, Cold one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so many people were there illegally. And so one of the land bills, it was a federal land bill in the 1850s, gave squatters the right to buy the land on which they lived. That's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, because there were so many people who were living illegally on the land, and so they said, okay, for, you know, 10 cents an acre, you can buy this land from whoever owns your track. Right. Yeah. Because you got those wheelers and dealers. Boy, were- 10 cents an acre. Oh, yeah. Now you can Even less, <laughs> even two cents an Some acre. Some of the land that's going for about $5 million an acre in Limestone County nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that kind of brings us up to, I want to mention a little bit about Elk County, because folks may not know that they could be living in Elk County right now. And, uh, you know, by 1816, the settlers petitioned the president again to uh, Andrew Jackson. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about, where they had the opportunity to stay. and The squatters had the opportunity to buy their property. I don't know if that was due to what Jackson said or... Uh, that was a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackson, of course, got rid of most of the Indians. You know, that was the Indian Removal Act of, mm-hmm. of 1830. But uh, you still had the problem of the squatters. But there was so much land, it, it you know, really wasn't, you know, that urgent. But right. It was hard to get, you know, you, you go to somebody's house and say, you're here illegally, you might get shot. Yes. <laughs> you know, because... We have a strong tradition of that in well, Alabama. Well, the thing about it, it's just, you know, you are on your own your welfare depended on the quality of land that you had, hopefully by a creek where you had right. some water, you know. 
and it, it was hard to, to dig a well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and there are so many creeks and rivers running through Limestone County. That's one of the things that made it, still yeah. makes it such a pl- great place to live, I think. But just imagine trying to dig a well and figuring out where through the Through this limestone rock. Where the water was. <laughs> yeah, know. yeah. You'd have to get out there and witch. Have you ever witched for water? Uh, no, but I have seen people do it. Yeah, I have. I've never done it, but I've seen uh, it. And Pretty fascinating. Pe- people claim it works. Yeah. But, you know, that's all they had. And studying, you know, the pioneer life is fascinating. There's a series of books called, I think, The Fox Fire. And I, enjoyed, I enjoyed reading those. Every one of them. And this was the real deal. That's how oh, they yeah. Oh, yeah. survived. Yeah. Well, and um, so in March of 1817, that's when the territory of Alabama was established out of Mississippi Territory. And three months later in May... The territorial legislator of Alabama created Elk County, which is, it was from the Chickasaw line, which, like I said, it kind of cuts off south and west of Ardmore, mm-hmm. but from there all the way over to the edge of what is now Lauderdale County. So basically, most of what is now Limestone County and all of what is Lauderdale County, minus Doubleheads Reservation, were all Elk County. And Elk County was only in existence for about nine months. Because then in 1818, the territorial legislature on February 2nd of 1818 split Lauderdale and Limestone in two to create two counties. There, That's why they're our twin county, Lauderdale, same same birthday, and then made the lines go north to south as opposed to the way the old Chickasaw Territory was. But, you know, some of our first leaders were... I mean, they were rough and tumble pioneers, too. You know, the justices of the quorum were the leaders of Elk County. And so you had George Wilder, whose daddy was the tavern owner, William Wilder. You got um, Thomas Reedus, who was a miller in the Sims settlement. And Thomas Bibb, who was the justice of Orson's court, later became second governor, built Belmina, all of that stuff. Those were some of our first you know, Elk County, they weren't called commissioners. They were um, justices of the quorum, but that's basically what they were. And that kind of brings you up to the establishment of Limestone County, which is what we're going to... How did Limestone County get its name? Well, because every time somebody tried to dig a well, they hit Limestone. So we're (laughs) the only county in the state of Alabama that's not named after somebody. Yeah, I think that's unique. The Limestone County Creeks. That's right. That's right. And yeah, it was really more about the Limestone Bluffs that people saw, you know. Um, of course, the Elk River named for the elk that were drinking all the water right south of those limestone bluffs. Do you know where specifically Doubleheads settlement was? Well, I've got an oh, I've got a map here that somebody put together that um, shows it. Blue Springs on Highway seventy two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when well, you cross the river uh, creek at Blue Springs, right up in there at Blue Springs in in Lauderdale County. Lauderdale, yeah, that's, Rogersville that's, area. I think that's true. Probably about from Rogersville area to Killing. which is Blue Springs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he was Cherokee. Yeah. That's right. Well, and that gets us about to where um, we want to pick up in our next episode with the establishment of Limestone County in those first early years as, as the county got established. So, But before we sign off, though, is there anything else that you really want us to know about Alabama's early history and how that relates to Limestone County history or even maybe just a favorite tidbit that you'd like to share with us of Alabama history? Well, uh, I think this uh, Alabama territorial period is is fairly uh, interesting. You know, William Wyatt Bibb, our first governor, was also governor of the Alabama Territory. Mm -hmm. 
And it's kind of puzzling uh, why he came over here. Uh, he was raised in Georgia, but he graduated from medical school at the University of Pennsylvania when he was only 21 and practiced medicine in Georgia for a while. He represented Georgia in the U.S. House of Representatives. He served in the Senate, and uh, he was appointed governor of the Alabama Territory. I think he owned a lot of land over here, mm -hmm. and that's one reason that he wanted to come. Money talks, don't it? It does. <laughs> uh, the capital of the Alabama Territory, do you know where that was? It was Cahaba, wasn't it? No. St. Stephen's. Oh, yeah, Stevens. that's right. St. Stephen's. Oh, oh, man. I would have missed that uh, question Saint on Steve the test. St. Stephen's, uh, again, showing you the importance of the Big B district. Right. And then, uh, of course, Cahapa was our first permanent capital, and then Huntsville was our temporary capital right. for a period. And uh, they met in the St. Stephen's Hotel. That's where the government met. And they chartered an academy. An academy was just a school, a steamboat company. And also, they established uh, some new counties, I, th I think seven or eight new counties. Uh, and so, by 18 and 19, there were about 125,000 people living mm -hmm. in Alabama. And then, in 1818, Congress passed a law saying, you can take steps to become a state mm -hmm. in 1818. So, it was a very short period of time. It also gave Alabama 20. 3,000 acres to create a state university. Oh. The federal government didn't have money, but it had land. Right. And they said, here are 23,000 acres. And so they started immediately to figure out a place. They chose Tuscaloosa mm -hmm. on the Black Warrior River. Hmm. Of course, it was very, very small back then. In sure. 1830, you might have had... Their football team wasn't that great. It wasn't. You, <laughs> you, maybe 50 students would be all you would have. Yeah. And so forth. They gave uh, 1,600 acres uh, for a state capital where the Cahaba River and the Alabama River met. And also, they gave the 16th section of land for educational purposes. And, of course, uh, I think even Limestone County yes. benefits. Right. And just a, a note about that. You mentioned that the land is what the U.S. government gave people as opposed to money. This area was one of the first areas to be surveyed and broken out. If people aren't familiar with what a section of land is, right. um, a, a section is a full square mile. And the county's divided in townships, which are north to south swaths of land, six miles wide, and then ranges, which are horizontal swaths of land, also six miles deep. So you got 36 square miles broken down into 36 sections. And the 16th section, which would be right in the middle, was for the school. And a lot of the first folks who came here, too, were revolutionary pensioners. Who The first folks who came here legally were revolutionary pensioners who, that's what their pension was, was land. And that's they right. were that's given right. a quarter section to a section of land. And some of them, like if you look in the old record books at Limestone County Archives, some of them actually moved here. Others, the pensioner was the first, quote, land owner, but he never lived here. Mm -hmm. He sold it pretty quick, cashed out, said, let somebody else climb over the Appalachians to get over there. I have no desire to live in Alabama. But now Alabama fever... Uh, once Alabama was opened up for settlement, it struck hard. And a lot of people came flooding in uh, to buy land here in Limestone County at the Huntsville Land Sales Office. And so Robert Beatty and John Carroll and some others bought 192 acres for $50 an acre. 
right in the middle of Limestone County for $9,594. And that was to establish the city of Athens, which was, that's the first deed book in the Limestone County archives of very, you know, Date page one, yeah. the deed for the city of Athens. I always love showing people the deed <laughs> for the city of Athens. And Athens was officially established three days after Mooresville in November 19th, 1818. Mooresville was November 16th. And so those were two uh, cities still going strong today, although Moores was a little more unique yeah. with the National Register designation. <laughs> but those are actually older than the state. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Let me say one more thing about uh, sure. the establishment of Alabama as a separate state to some of the arguments. It had to do with uh, having two slave states rather than one slave state uh, of Mississippi. Yep. And so that swayed a lot of people to say, yeah, because for a period of time, it wasn't certain whether there would be one state of Mississippi created from the Georgia land or two states. Mm-hmm. And as time went on, uh, it was this balance is that we want two slave states. And that's the reason why we didn't get the Gulf Coast, mm-hmm. Pensacola, and that area. Uh, most of the population in Florida was in the Panhandle. Uh, nobody lived in Miami except the Indians and the Alligator. Who would want to live down there in that swamp? That's right. And so the, the southern senators said, we can't take the populated part of Florida and give it to Alabama because we need those people to form another slave state, mm-hmm. which is Florida. And unfortunately, that's what happened. One of the first things when we became a state that our congressman did was to make a petition to annex the uh, Florida Panhandle. We can defend it. The people want it. There was a vote, etc. But uh, the forces that wanted Florida as a slave state prevailed. And that's why we don't have Pensacola, because it, it should go with the river. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Panama yeah. City. Panama City. All of that. Florida-Bama. But see, there would have been no Florida-Bama. <laughs> well, and see, there wouldn't have been a, a Alabama-Florida football game. Right. That's or, right. Or... That's right. Alabama-Mississippi football game if we had still... That's right. That's the most important thing. Or or Auburn. (laughs) That's right. Well, on that happy note, we're going to wrap up this conversation with Dr. Joyner. Once again, we are so grateful you joined us. You're just a wealth of information. I I feel like we could sit here and talk all day, but we plan to have you on again before too long to talk about Athens State University and the history of that. So, once again, I'm Rebecca. I'm Bridget. Signing off. Thanks again. You've been listening to Homegrown History, a podcast produced by the Athens-Limestone County Public Library in cooperation with the Limestone County Archives in Athens, Alabama. Join us next time as we explore the yesterdays that have made Limestone County what it is today. For more information, please visit the archive website at limestonecounty-al.gov. To hear other recordings from our Library Voices podcast series, please visit the Athens-Limestone County Public Library's website at alcpl.org. Library Voices is also now available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.